evening, everyone. It is indeed an awesome privilege to be asked to introduce the speaker for tonight. The speaker is Reverend Wayne E. A. Palmer, and he is a senior pastor and co-founder of Jubilee Worship Center, located at 36 Valdez Road in Spanish Town. He has been serving the Lord and preaching the gospel of the kingdom for the past 33 years and in the office of pastor for over 28 years. Reverend Palmer has ministered extensively across Jamaica and has also done ministry in the Cayman Islands and the United States as psalmist and conference speaker on the topics of praise and worship, church stewardship and leadership, occultism and cultism, de deliverance and many other areas that are relevant to the advancement and edification of the kingdom of God. In his function as apostle, he has raised up pastors and many ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ into active, effective ministry for the end times. He currently oversees four church bodies in Jamaica and serves as president and international envoy for prayer 2000. In this capacity, he acts as advisor to other ministries and as mentor to pastors. Under his leadership, the Lord has expanded Jubilee Worship Center and has added Jubilee Worship Center Fraser's content. He holds a diploma in biblical studies with J-O-B-I and a B.S.C. in theology from Cornerstone University. Apostle Wayne Palmer has now published his first book and is working on others. He serves as marriage officer and justice of the peace and lay magistrate for the parish of St. Catherine. He is married to his beautiful wife, Melody, and together they have two sons, Stephen and Israel who now serve in the ministry. Congregation, I now invite you to stand. Put your hands together and make welcome our speaker for this evening, Apostle Wayne Palmer. So while he gets ready, I am going to pray. Hallelujah. Let us bow our heads in his presence tonight. Father, we thank you. We lift you up and we exalt your wonderful name in this place. Abba, Father, our heavenly Father, the Father who loves us so very much. Father, as we are here tonight to receive, 
to continue to receive your love. Mighty God, we pray and we ask of you that you will continue to pour out your spirit of love upon each and every person that is inside this sanctuary this evening in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for our apostle that as you use him effectively tonight to minister to your people as he is the father of this house, we pray tonight that the love of God, the father, Abba Father will reveal himself to each and every one of us tonight through your servant. This we ask of you as we continue to open up ourselves to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, church. Apostle Wayne, we declare life. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Good evening, everyone. It's really a, a great honor to be with you, with you all this evening, and uh, to be sharing with us on this very special occasion. It is my hope that we can maximize the time as best as possible, and um, and also just just for the heart of the Lord to be revealed. I want to greet all the pastors that are here tonight, uh, Reverend Dr. Ruthlyn McCarthy and Pastor Desmond, along with a team of persons that they have brought, um, Pastor Barrington and Paulette Pearson, Pastor Melody Palmer, um, and if there are any other pastors that I've missed in the process, evangelists, bishops, apostles, Everyone, good evening. Good evening. I want us just to look at the passage from Romans 8. I want to read it. Uh, three verses or four verses it is. Uh, the parallel is in Galatians 4. Um, I will pick out a thing or two when we get to that point. But Romans 8.14 says... For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear witness with our spirits that we are children of God and if children then heirs and joint heir our heir of God and joint heir with Christ if so be that we suffer with him that we may also glorify together the word of the Lord this evening I have tried very hard to prepare for this night. And um, it's a very 
interesting experience. Ever seen those movies where someone is trying to write on paper or something and they wrote and crushed up several papers and then throw it away? So that I have. I've written at least four introductions and still not sure which one is of the four is suitable. But I'm going to use number five, which I'll tell you as we go along. I had an occasion many years ago where a young lady walked into my office. And by the way, the reason I'm able to share this is because I had permission from her so to do. And so she walked into the office and she said to me, Pastor, I have a problem. The problem I'm having is this. And I've, you said in her voice, I've never said it to anyone before. I was sexually molested by my father from I was nine years old. And that continued all the way until she was about 21. And the reason why she was now at this place is because her younger sister, she noticed that he was now making advance towards her. And the thing became so disconcerting to her that she is wrestling between the fear of confronting him, the fear of maybe killing him, the fear of the shame that if everyone in her family found out that this had actually happened, how are they going to look at her? Because normally when a woman says, I have been raped or molested, everyone else is, what's the word I would use? Is believed. But they are rarely ever believed at the first go. And that is how um, that happens. And so that was where she was at. And so having sat down with her for about two hours and spoke to her on the matter, I said, no, this is what must happen. That when you leave my office today, you are going to talk to your mother. And in speaking to your mother, you will let, and, and let her know all that has happened to you. Everything that you have told me, you need to tell her. And when that is finished, you need to call a family meeting. And you need to expose in that family meeting what has actually happened to you. And then the family needs to confront this father. At first she wasn't sure if she had the ability so to do. But that is what the spirit of grace does to anyone. He allows you to be impacted so much by himself that boldness came into her. So she did exactly as was told. She went home. She spoke to her mother. In the process of talking to her mother, two of her older sisters heard the conversation and broke out weeping. And they said they were ashamed because they both have gone through the similar experience. 
but did not know how to even com communicate it to the mother who herself had been an abused woman. And then, so the two older sisters to her, she, the under sister, and of course the little one that uh, it, 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 it almost could say, unfortunately, it seemed like it's all girls in this family. And he decided to make prey of all of them. And so when he got in on that evening, after they have had their conversation, as he stepped through the door, they, he noticed everybody sitting in the living room. And they literally, for the first time, got back their voice. Because one of the things that something like this does is that it robs you of your voice. It mutes you. And it mums you. It prevents you from actually standing and speaking up. And in the process of their, them getting back their voice and confronting this man, he broke down weeping. And in breaking down to weep, he says, now, the family that he grew up in, this was the norm. He thought that this was acceptable behavior in, within the construct of family. I'm saying, and I, and I can give you stories and accounts upon accounts. This is 35 years of engaging in counseling at different levels. And I've seen it. I've seen it all the way from incest to bestiality. All of it. I've seen it all. All the way from homosexuality to some weird weird things and when you trace all of this back to a particular point you realize how broken sometimes a family can become or a family really is and as well the great levels of hurt that are happening uh, in, the, in, in, in the society and also in the church my wife and I also some years ago we were introduced to a young man and uh, when we were introduced to him, he, we knew at the time that he was wrestling with effeminacy. We just didn't know how far it had gone. Again, permission to share. And in the process of us trying to minister to him, we discovered and uncovered that he was a practicing homosexual. He was um, at that point engaged in the lifestyle on a very serious level. And the question was, how did you get into this thing? I will tell you his answer, and it will shock most of you. And his answer was this, that he was introduced into it by a pastor. And to make matters worse, he was brought, the pastor under the guise of providing mentorship and providing, uh, what's the word, hospice. Providing a home for him to stay because he's not stable where he's at. Moved him into the house in a spare room. Without the knowledge of his wife, he was married, to understand that these two were lovers. In other words, what have become... Uh, the trend that ran through both of these incidents is this. That what started out as an abuse eventually becomes slavery. 
what started out as something that um, we just sometimes somebody says just a one-time thing to it crossing the line. That person now become this enslave and the slave of the person. This is where the victim become a willing participant in their own abuse. And this is a major, major uh, situation that is happening in a lot of the incidents that we're experiencing in the country. And the way we need to get a hold of this and to understand this is that the remedy, there's remedy available to address all of this. But it will not be adequately addressed until someone is willing to make the steps. And that's where I want to start us off at. Because different ones of us are wrestling with different things. number of us, it, it might be nothing sexual altogether. But someone might be struggling with mental issues. And what that does to you, uh, someone uh, dealing with different aspects of um, experience that you have had. And so, you know, looking at Abba this evening... And the whole thing of uh, revealing the Father's love. My segment that I want to address is this. Is breaking the spirit of rejection with the spirit of adoption. That's really what I felt the Lord wants me to address in all of this after it comes on to all of the gravy. And so let's see how we can flesh this out. And I'm going to go off script mostly tonight. I'm going to go off script. So, the first thing I want to say to us is this. It really does not matter what your ailment is. Jesus got you. It doesn't matter the path that you have traveled and the different things that you have experienced along that path. He is the good shepherd. The number one function of the shepherd is to actually walk the path before you are taken on it. So there's literally no path that you have traveled for which he does not have an understanding. He has already been at the end of the path and is able to now provide you with adequate help. In the whole process. And that is how very important it is. Crucial. Really doesn't matter where this has started. So we want to deal with a number of things. The other thing I want to highlight on the get-go. Is the amount of effort and energy that the Lord's spent throughout the scriptures addressing at least these two or three main things fear shame and rejection from the very get go in Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the scriptures and I started chapters, chapter 3 because one person rightly says Chapter 1 and 2 are the only two perfect chapters in the whole Bible. Because after that, sin entered into the picture. Everything else is, is affected or have impact of what sin does. And so from as early 
as Genesis 3, the Lord went out of his way to begin addressing these different areas. And so I want to pick them apart as it were as we look at it tonight. So here is, let's deal with this first one. Shame. When Adam and Eve ate, the Bible says that all of a sudden, they began, first of all, they discovered that they were naked. The idea here is that when you are, let's use the word, innocent, that to those who are innocent, in the ones for whom certain things have not been awoken, at the place of your innocence, you treat everything as innocent. The way you interact and relate to things, it is, you treat it as on a level that you're not suspicious, your guards are not up, you are not actually having systems in place even to, to, to guard yourself properly. Because you are thinking, in fact, the scripture says it this way, that to the pure, all things are pure. Because your, your predominant thought process and the way you view things is through the eyes of purity. Sometimes it's, it's late before you discover that what you're dealing with right now really isn't pure at all. That the thing you are dealing with carries with it ulterior motives. It's motives, it's objective, all of that is skewed and flawed in a way to actually um, ensnare you. So, for instance, the, I remember asking a good friend of mine who is now a pastor. And he, we're having this conversation. He talks about you know, when he was out in the world and the, him going to all of these different women. Having not had the experience at all, I've said to myself, so tell me, what do you say to these women? What do you actually say? How do you actually look on someone that you know you'll never have a future with and actually tell them you love them and get them to believe you? How in the world that works? And I'm trying to wrap my head around it because having not known what that experience is like at all, it, it was baffling to me. I said it all the time. When I got married, I was a virgin. So it really... It just never made any sense. I, have, I don't know what it is to sleep with anybody else apart from the wife I'm married to. And I really don't want to find out. So, the, the, the idea was to find out. And so he said to me, he says, well, you tell them what they want to hear. Essentially, it amounts to what is referred to as sweet nothing. That when a, a, when a female is at a, at a place where she, she's uncertain about herself, where the gaps are in her own development and appreciation for who she is, nothing sounds like everything. Offering her bag of air sounds like you have given her the world. And I've seen where that have played out in a lot of persons' lives. And so I asked him, I said, he said, well, that's what you do. You just, you tell them what you tell them. You make them feel 
as though they are the only person in the world. I said, but you have a wife. Doesn't matter. You make them feel as though they are the only person in the world. In the garden, the trick that Satan used was to make it seem as though the one to whom they were bonded to was holding out on them. So no sooner than they ate and things changed, the next thing we read is that they started hiding themselves. So after discovery comes the hiding. And what is shame have a way of allowing us to constantly seek out ways to conceal. I remember one person said, the way I feel ashamed is as though I believe like on my forehead is written all the evil things that I have done. And the moment someone comes in my presence, they can actually see it written on my face. And so they're trying to hide and to cover themselves in these ways. Shame. Shame is debilitating. Bible says that when God came in to have his usual meeting with the first pair, the usual spot, it would appear that they were not there. And so his voice started going throughout the garden. And it's, it's impossible to hide from the all-knowing God. But the place of healing begins when you are able to acknowledge for yourself where you are. Not where he is. It's when you are able to say, no, this is what I'm dealing with. This is where I am. So when he says, where are you? And they finally answered, he says, no, so what's wrong with you? He said, we heard your voice and we were ashamed and we hid ourselves. So that place of hiding only makes things worse. I learned something early in my walk that if you are in a place where your life is in sin or in certain habits and practice, that place is referred to as the dark places of your life. Well, there's a new name for it after that was called closet. The dark places of your life. That as long as you are in that place of secret, the only other person that will be in that location with you is the enemy of your souls. And it's how you break his grasp and his grip is when you allow light to come in. Because the entrance of that light illuminates. It literally uncovers everything and allows you even to see not just the sin and the fault, but the remedy. But the remedy. The purpose of God's question is to ask, where are, of asking where are you, is for self-discovery. So if I ask every one of you in here tonight, where exactly are you? Where are you? Do you know where you are? I'm not talking location. I'm talking 
in, well, if location in this regard, where are you in your own self-discovery? Where are you in understanding what is happening to you? Where are you in actually admitting or to say, I'm, I'm, I'm in a problem right here. I'm, I'm having a, this is where my problem is. Or is it a case where you have not yet discovered it at all? Because sometimes we have a blind spot and we don't know. We have a blind spot and we are constantly being tripped up by that blind spot. And we don't know. So, in addressing shame, it is needful for you to identify where you are. Where exactly are you? Even to establish causality, you need to know where you are. So if we're going to know what is the cause, we, you need to know where you are. Because then you are able to trace backwards to the place where you can say, no, it began here. This shame entered my life when this happened. For some of you, your incident happened to you at a point when you were not even able to keep record. Meaning... It happened so early in your childhood that you have no frontal memory of it. It's not the first thing that comes up on your mind. But somewhere in the subliminal, in the back, it is plain. There's a, there's a thing that I learned from one of my sons uh, that is called Ghost Program. Where and what is happening on the front of your computer screen is one thing. But what is slowing down its speed is something else that is running in the background that is not showing up at all. So you're having a ghost program being run and it is robbing the machine of its speed, its power, and its effectiveness. It's kind of like a Trojan that has been introduced into your system. And for, for some of us, what is happening is that this incident happens so early in our experience that it's, it's there running in the background. You, you can't put your finger on it. And I'm, I'm so, so true, my wife. And the enemy is using it as a, as a way of literally subjugating you. His main purpose is to imprison you and to keep you in prison for all of your life. And so the point of self-discovery is the point of when you know that from at this point of self-discovery, my life will not be the same again. That's really what that is. So we have to deal with shame. We have to address shame. What is it that you're ashamed of? What exactly is it that have caused you not to keep your head up? I remembered having this young lady. This was my first meeting of her. She's coming to church for the first time. And she had on this very ugly hat. I couldn't, there's no other way of describing the thing. This was the kind of hat that would have been worn by my mother's mother. It, it was just an ugly hat. It was very, very old. And so I saw her walk into the church and I'm on the platform and I watch her I said, I said, for the life, I said, how, why is it that this girl have on this thing on her? 
she came into the church and all of the wonderful church sisters there look across or you can see them <laughs> and none of them were actually even approaching her so the moment that church was finished she did her, this is her first time in church I walked out to her outside and I said to her says how are you my name is so and so and so what's your name she gave me her name and I said to her I said I said why are you wearing such an ugly hat why are you wearing this ugly hat I said I said to her I said no listen I said you are a beautiful young woman you will not ever wear this hat to church again never not on the street nowhere you need to look at yourself for who God made you appreciate who you are and see the beauty that he has put in you and you must never ever do this again abosh she was she took off the hat fold the thing together in a crumple put it away and then she said you know the reason why i'm wearing this is that i'm ashamed of how i look i i really don't think that i look in any way that i should be my face should be exposed and apart from the ugly hat there's a place where what do you call it um where they comb the hair and it comes on on the forehead a bang or something they call it a bang so she had an ugly bang to match the ugly hat it was just it was just there and i said to her i said no 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 and in the process of just leave it there if it's working in the process of that is bringing her to the point of self-discovery out of all of that i discovered that she was an accountant she was highly trained she had never held a good job because in all of these interviews she had never presented herself as one with confidence when i finished speaking to her that sunday she had an interview the following week based on just that one statement she went to the interview aced it and got the job working for an international company having not had any such um, access before shame is a dangerous thing it, it cripples you it mars you it literally obscure the glory and the beauty of God in you and there are many reasons why persons are ashamed some your physical features some it's you just and, and some of this started because of how persons address you when you were children or you're a child shame shame we have to address shame one of the most fascinating past scripture is to hear in um, Joel in Joel thank you and in Joel once you pass chapter 1 the emphasis of God in that he says this the reason why I am turning this thing around for you is that you will never be ashamed again you'll never be ashamed again 
And one of the shame that they were experiencing then was that they were experiencing the aftermath of the judgment of God and how persons look at them and view them. And God says, I'm taking even that away. Maybe somebody have walked down the road of backsliding. You fell into sin and backslid from church. And you come back to church and are treated as though you have the plagues. Even that he wants to remove the shame from. Fear is the next one. Needless to say, that Paul in speaking to Timothy, he says to him, that the God has not given you a spirit of fear. But instead of giving you the spirit of love, of what? Power and a sound mind. No. So let's you, you do a little bit of backtracking in this way. If in the one text there is talk of the spirit of fear, and then at the same time to talk about sound mind, then it already tells you what fear does. That it make you to be of unsound mind. It robs you of your stability and the settledness in your own mental state. There are different degrees of fear. And I know that. And I know that there are fears where you might just be timid or... You know, having some trepidation about approaching some things. But when fear begins to rob you of the purposes and the plans that God has for your life, do not play games with it. Don't, no, no, don't, don't do that. Remember having this lady came to us here. She said, listen. I've gone to many churches. I've gone to a number of places. And I've asked for them to come and pray for my sister. She has locked herself in her room for the past two years. She has not come out of the room. And just to be sure that she doesn't come out of the room, she orders pampas. And she wears them. And she's so stricken by fear that she doesn't even come to the veranda. And this was someplace in Fairview Park. I left here the day with her and I said, this must stop. No, this must end. This cannot be allowed to continue. Went to the house. She obliged just to crack the door for me to actually address her through the crack of the door. We prayed, released the word, and broke this unclean power that has taken a hold of her life. Kept on calling to find out how she was. One day, I saw someone coming through the gate. And she walked in and she said, 
I came to say thank you. That after two years, this is a woman that was a professional in the United States. She had a professional function. I think in the field of medicine. And for these two years, it's almost like a furlough because she could she was immobilized. She's not able to function at all. She was engaged to be married. This guy had been waiting on her for two years. And she's not able to function. And she come to say, I come to tell you thank you. I am flying out next week. I'm going to rejoin my husband, my, my spouse, my husband, my, what do you call that? Fiance. I'm going to rejoin my fiance. I'm going to retake my position in my work. For the first time in my life, I know what it is to not be afraid. Fear robs you. Carries with it. <laughs> the Bible says, especially the fear of men, it imprisons you. It puts snares upon you. It's like having your arms being caught in a trap. And you are actually held down and held back. Fear is brutal. It's wicked. Because fear allows you to be in constant motion in some cases. Is that you are running and hiding from everybody because you feel like you are being pursued. That kind of fear is what God don't want you to be in. But there are other fears that maybe it's not as deep. For some of you, the fear is if someone ever really know my real testimony I'm afraid that if they know it they will never look at me the same way again they will never relate to me they'll never actually want to be in my presence we when we just started out on the road we had a young man and some of you would remember this this young man was the leader of a gang of seven and um when, long story short, when I, after he came, met with him, and I asked him, I said, no, when did you become a criminal? When did you become a murderer? And he said this, he says, what if I tell you I was an evangelist in my church? That's the first thing that came out of his mouth. What if I tell you I was an evangelist in my church? I fell into sin, wound up in the hospital because of it. When I came out and came back to church, Everyone treated me as though I had leprosy. They knew, he, she, he sat in a, in, a, in a row and everyone cleared the row. They cleared the row. And he said to himself, if the church don't want me, I'm going to find people who do. And he found these guys, six with himself, and started this gang. And they had a rap sheet from Kingston to Montego Bay. Some of us are afraid of somebody really knowing our true testimony. Where we have been. What we were exposed to. But one of the easiest ways to break the power of fear is that you yourself, and I'm going to use this word very loosely, you manage the information that you are giving out. Meaning that you don't wait for it to be discovered. You must come into a place in the Lord, in his deliverance, where you are able to say, this is where I was. I was a prostitute. 
I was engaged in this and in that. And you've literally by that point of uh, unveiling broke every intimidating tactic that the enemy would ever find to come at you. Because now they, you have take, is that taken the wind out of a sail. You, 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 whatever they're going to come to use as a way to browbeat you and to keep you down, you have robbed them of that opportunity altogether. As church, as church, we have to manage shame, meaning that those who are coming in with situations that they should be ashamed about, we're not talking about condoning sin. We're not talking about becoming party to someone's sin. But what we are talking about is understanding people that they, and understanding the word that those who have been crushed, the scripture says, those who consider themselves to be strong, that they are the one to bear the infirmity of the... Do you know what that word infirmity means? It means if you diagnose them sick, you are the doctor. You are the one who he's looking to, to come alongside them and walk them through this sickness. Whatever it is. Many times a church is dealing with pregnancy in church and all kinds of things. And, and I know sometimes people say, why don't you just put them out? The answer to that is no. You don't put them out to the wolves. But you're going to meet with them. You're going to counsel them. You're going to restore them in the spirit of meekness. Why? Because therefore the grace of God goes I. In fact, the Bible says part of your reason for the restoration that you are doing and working with them is that you yourself will face the same temptation sometime to come. And the, the difference between your success or failure is directly related to how you have been able to have mercy and to exercise grace. And again, we're not talking about condoning sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about understanding that we're all sinners. And God has redeemed us and have raised us. Let me quickly move to the next. So the next is rejection. Here is what somebody said. That next to sin, rejection is number two, at least, on the list. Of being something that affects every single person from Adam to eternity. At one point or the other, something would have happened in your life to make you feel rejected. And rejection usually takes on at least two forms. At least two forms. Let me put it to three. But the first two is where those around you, you actually reject you. And I don't, when I say, I don't mean it's a figment of your imagination. I mean they are making no, they're not trying to hide it, that they actually are rejecting you. There are persons who will do that. But I found that whenever someone is actually engaged in that, it's a means of them trying to lift themselves. So they'll put you down. So that they themselves might look better. Right, that don't make any sense. So let me say it another way for you. Let me say it another way for you. That one of the reasons why persons 
always talk about the bad that someone else does. When that happened in a prolific way, in a very nice and juicy way, as the scripture says in Proverbs, it is usually because if I keep eyes on you, no one will be able to look at me. So I get everybody, I'm directing the traffic of the eyes as to where they are to look so that no one looks at what I'm actually dealing with. So it's a, it's a self-preservation tactic of covering one's own flaws and faults and one owns shortcomings, as they call them, and sin as well. It is wrong. It is wrong. It's diabolic. It's, it's, it's allowing Satan to have control. So, fear, uh, sorry, rejection when people does it. But then there is self-rejection. This is when you can no longer stand your own self. And that can maturate, it can ex escalate to a place where it becomes suicidal. It becomes self-destructive. It actually brings you to a point where you are, you are bereft of life. You, you wish if you could just no longer exist. Then you feel as though you'll be okay. That kind of rejection is brutal. Because it constantly feels like someone is chipping away at your brain, chipping away at your mind, chipping away at your sanity, chipping away at your stability. It's wicked, it's brutal. It goes on incessantly, constantly happening. You, you might find you become, uh, develop what they call addictive behaviors. So whether it is a case where you'll eat like a goat, I say goat because goat eats more than most animals. They eat more than cows and, and, and in most cases more than horses. They just eat. Or if not eating, um, <laughs> so I, I, have you ever seen those medical things where they show these huge persons, sometimes five, six hundred pounds of persons and, and you're Wondering why in the world would somebody still come and bring them five or six hamburgers, one whole chicken, two bread, one massive jug. And, and you're still wondering if, if they are in that state and they're, they're weeping and mourning over how bad they are and, and all that. Why are you aiding and abetting them in this action? The, the, the reason why I'm saying that is this, because in a lot of cases, when one becomes, get to the point of self-hate, they usually find a willing participant who aids and abets them in this situation. And if not careful, there's a famous case that went down in the U.S. some time ago, where a young lady befriended a young man and got him to commit suicide. And the matter went to the court because... She was pretending as though she had nothing to do with his actions. But she actually aided and abetted him. And even dared him. And when that wasn't work, she cursed him. And get him to the point of committing suicide. At no point did she try to really help. In a lot of cases, you get willing participants. There's a bird of one feather flocks together. That you can find in sometimes your 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 what do you call that now your attraction 
is usually to someone who's wrestling with the same kind of thing. That doesn't help if that someone has not yet walked through deliverance. That doesn't help if that someone is still themselves unsure about the what direction they're going. And so, rejection will make you come to the point of self-hate. Not loving yourself. In fact, sometimes persons are always dressed in black or they're wearing extreme baggy clothes. All of these are telltale signs that something is going on that needs to be looked at. The third would be when it becomes it's projected. It's projected. So it's projected to the point where you know believe that God himself has rejected you. And the way this has shown up in a number of, I've had to deal with a number of young men with this over in the past. The way it showed up is that the enemy get them to believe that they have blasphemed against the Lord. And therefore, because the judgment for blasphemy is that they'll never make it into heaven, they are constantly feeling that they have now missed heaven even while they're yet alive. He didn't even bother try to get them to define what blasphemy against the Holy Ghost really is. But they are convinced that they have done so. And as a result of that, they say, well, God no longer wants to have anything to do with me. I'm already destined for hell, etc., etc. So here is what all of this. Let's, let's stitch this together for us now. Let's stitch it together and let's wrap it up. You know what is fascinating about the passage we just read? Is that it is written by the apostle Paul. This is who he is. He's a brilliant young man. And I say brilliant because many times the ones who are very affluent or well-educated usually use those things to hide the scars. It's kind of like Naaman who had on this very shiny armor but the leprosy is eating away on the inside of that armor. And in many cases, those who are brilliant of mind and those who are um, affluent or have some amount of means use that to hide what they are dealing with. The Apostle Paul, brilliant, raised up among the ranks, being young, brought into early success, speak at least, I spoke at least um, four to five different languages that he spoke fluently. Hebrew, Greek, Greek in two era, both Kone and classical Greek. Uh, uh, speak Arabic and speak some aspect of Aramaic. And so he's very well learned. Trained by the best. <laughs> he's also single. He's not married. In a society where for him to have been a man and not married. He's already looked down at a certain way. Because they're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. It's, it's, it's a standard procedure that if you are a Hebrew. You, you grew up. In fact you are even married before you. You come out of the womb. How is it that you are not married? Something must be wrong with you. 
he is hiding all of the different internal struggles with when this group called the people of the way emerged he now decided to go on a campaign to eradicate them so that whatever he's dealing with is not out in the public he's among the Sanhedrin he's walking among the creme de la creme of the society he's actually at that place he's now saved he now learned that he have to go through the struggle a certain way he's walking through it he's realizing that the thing he did not deal with before all of a sudden now become a part of his experience and so he took one to two or two or two or so one to two, one to three three to four chapters of Romans just trying to express what his real issue is and so he started out by saying but I'm gonna paraphrase it for us he said but this doesn't make sense if I'm delivered then delivered I must be why am I why am I dealing with some of what I'm seeing playing out in my in my experience and so he's wrapping his head around this thing theologically and all of that and he said well sin should have no dominion over you because sin was defeated as early as in the garden but at the same time was finally dealt its mortal blow in Christ and he, sin was never to reign over man or it reigned from Adam until it comes to Christ and it should be dealing and, and, and so he finished that and he says but I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm still having a struggle I'm having a struggle somewhere in my system and I'm I'm not putting my finger on it so he moved from chapter 5 to chapter 6 and he began to say no alright so he now began to paraphrase he said no if a man is married to a wife then that marriage or that covenant is intact until one dies not even so much divorce but until one dies so if one has actually died then the other is free but why am I still not free because through Christ's death it's an indication that my pen, my, my, all of my, what do you call that now? The monies for my sin, all of the, the payments were already taken care of. And therefore I should be free as long as the husband is alive and bound. But if, if he's dead, then I'm, I should be free. As long as sin had power through my life before, then I should be born, but now that Christ has died, I should be free. I'm still not free. He got into chapter 7 and he says, he says, I'm a wretch. I'm a wretch. I'm a wretch. I'm a wretch because I'm trying so hard to do what I know to be right, but every time I set out to do this, evil present itself and the worst part about this evil is i'm not being attacked from outside this is something at work inside of me and i'm trying to figure out how to kill the thing all the different things before that should have made it die have happened and it's still raining in me what am i missing 
I must be missing something. And he was writing all the way through and he says, he says, no, I set out to do good. And after all of that, the end result is that evil, my, evil is the manifestation of it. it it's, it's like, have you ever gone to really try and encourage somebody and after you open your mouth and talk to them, they hate you after that. The person won't talk to you for the rest of their life. Because it's, um, the, it's good you set out to do it. You're just trying to help them and to be a blessing to them. But they feel that you have passed your place. You have no right to have spoken to me this way. You have, you're out of order. You, you're, and even when you're not disrespectful, everything is read into it. And he says, I'm a wretch. But when he stepped over into chapter 8, his language changed. And he says, I finally discovered the answer. And this is the answer to every one of us inside here. If you are determined to get free by yourself, that is not possible. No amount of education. Even if you were to take transcendental meditation, which is because people are finding all kinds of substitute nowadays. Yoga, all kinds of things. Mind and body, out of mind and body experience. All of that. And when, when you come down from that high, you're still going to crash. Even if you decide to drink your way. Well, you know, let's say, I heard this guy give this description, description where he says, um, introduce himself, and his nickname is Submarine. So I said, why do you call him submarine? Because he's always under his waters. He's just always drunk. So they call him submarine. Even when you drink your way from, even when it is one partner after another trying to fill a void, it will not work. Because the answer you are looking for is not in another person. It is not in man. It's not in you. And Paul discovered this very front and center he says listen he says oh as doing this all along by my own strength i know scriptures i quote scriptures but i really not appropriate christ i've not really given christ his full go at this i thank god that through him I am now completely free. Then the next thing that happened is the change in the headspace. What was the change? There is therefore now no condemnation. That part of the reason why there is shame, there is fear, there is this. The reason why it is so gripping is because you are living under condemnation. There is now not tomorrow not next week not next year not even when you are completely set free there is now say that with me there is now no that jesus says the reason why i did not come to offer condemnation is that the world is already condemned the world is already condemned said no I, that's not where i come there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus so that means if you are in the building and you're not saved you need a relationship with christ jesus 
because everything about your freedom is locked up inside okay the whole under pastor i have known people who are christians and they are still struggling well they are struggling because they are still trying to do it themselves at god's expense that's what paul was doing and it's when you and i are willing enough to say this thing is bigger than me i need help and are willing to subjugate yourself to christ for that then he says not only christ but he has not given us the spirit he has not allowed us to have what was out there so we come into him and we switch laws we're no longer functioning with the laws of sin and death but we are not functioning with the law of the spirit of life see that phrase spirit of life that this he's introducing to you the holy spirit that this victory that you're off you're sorting out or you're after cannot be accomplished without the holy spirit in your life and i don't just mean a baptism are coming upon i mean an actual intimate fellowship continuous relationship with the holy spirit why he introduced him another way he says no this is the spirit that when christ was crucified and buried that went into the tomb just to fulfill one prophecy into the tomb and raised him up from the dead that is so if he can raise up the dead christ he can raise up you who are still dead in trespasses and sin that's what he's after and so the answer to all what we're dealing with here is that we are being asked to take on a, a deeper more intimate relationship with the holy spirit and with the christ and his finished work at calvary for the freedom that we need and so that's why he now continues. it is this same man who was struggling who now says to you and i he says for there's so much to say all right so let me use 15. so 15 he says 14 15 he says now you no longer have to feel abandoned you no longer have to live with rejection because god is true to his word he will father you and the relationship with jesus christ is that which brings you into adoption now i want to tell you what this word adoption means because we automatically assume that we know what adoption means so i'm going to tell you i'm going to describe to you what adoption means in that passage as opposed to what adoption means now first of all adoption now only happens to babies and small children adoption then only happened to adults this is not adopting a baby this is adopting an adult this is a grown person that has been adopted and the way it actually happened is that two fathers would meet let's say one family realized that this other family have responsible sons and he says in my own house i am not sure if my sons are responsible and i want you to follow me closely please because i don't want you to miss this and so the father would meet two fathers would meet and they said no i notice 
you have a son. I'm going to use BG. Uh, Barrington. I am interested in adopting Barrington. And the father would say, well, you're interested in my son Barrington. Um, Alright, I have other sons. I am willing for the right price. Now, the, there's a price of adoption. If you're adopting a female, it will be 20 pieces of silver. Adopting a male would have been 30 pieces of silver. Does, does that 30 pieces of silver sound familiar? Good. 30 pieces of silver. And, um, and so, we would meet at the parish council. The, the fathers would meet at the parish council. And in meeting at the parish council, the fathers would actually agree. And be, but before the agreement takes place, one father, come Barrington, let's, let's borrow you. Come son. Stand right here for me Barrington. Oh, come here and face them this way. So face them that way. Now take a hold of his right hand for me please. Give me your left hand sir. And they begin to pull. Sorry Barrington. And they begin to wrestle. The war that is going on in your flesh right now. Between the spirit and the flesh. Remember, describe that. That is the process of adoption that is being worked out. As you feel like you have been pulled to and fro. And after a while of the pulling, he as Barrington's father said, okay, alright. 30 pieces of silver, not a cent more. We will then sign off on that. Are you ready for this? So, first of all, so you would have been named Anderson before. Know that, sorry Sister P, know that you are adopted. You immediately is named Palmer. But what is fascinating about this adoption is this. Is that not only are you named Palmer, but what it means is that you are completely divided from him. He never had you. He, he, had, he never had any part of your life. If you are walking on the street and Mr. Anderson sees you and says, What, my son? You can say, Who, me? I, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. Not only that, but any debt you have. If you had $10 million debt, the moment you are adopted, it is immediately cancelled. Because the debt belongs to Anderson. You, do, you don't name Anderson anymore. It, you think that was good. So here is the better part. That even if I had 10 sons older than you, the moment I adopt you, you become the first son in my household. Whether you are 16 or 7, you immediately get the rights of the firstborn. So all of the privilege of the rights of the firstborn is immediately bestowed upon you. Then there is one other thing. If I could disown my ten sons, if I could cut them out of my will or anything at all, as far as the law is concerned, I only have one son. And it is you. So I, th I, I know you think you understand what I've just said. So let me help you to understand it. The way the process of adoption works is this. If it were possible for God the Father to disown Jesus, the fact that you are brought in by the spirit of adoption, he cannot disown you. If it were possible. It means that when he's, this is why when he says, he's making many sons to glory. 
or he's saying uh, for as many as received into them gave you power to become son this is not just any son this is firstborn son because you have been elevated up do you understand why Satan is fighting you the way he has? Because he does not want you to know the rights and the privilege and the power and the authority that you have received. That's what he's robbing you from. That's why he's keeping you in shame, keeping you in fear, and making you feel as though you are rejected by the God who actually adopts you. By his adoption, he has made you chief in his house and satan is still trying to mess with your head for you to think that you are less than the devil is a liar i rebuke him out of this place tonight the devil is a liar it's a liar and by the way so the ladies might say so where do i fit into this there is is even though they use the word children children does not really describe what happens in the new testament the word is actually son because it is not gender it's position it's not gender you have been elevated to a position to a place where you are able to walk in authority and might and dominion and walk in god so when anipa quoted earlier that this is what the whole creation is waiting for for you to understand and know who you are that you are sons oh and by the way for those who are still wrestling i have greater news for you and greater and greater yet still so when you go towards the end of that same this is a guy who was struggling in seven five six and seven he now writes in the end of chapter eight he says and who can bring a charge against god's elect no you're no longer out there no you are not god who dare can bring a charge against god's elect only the one who died for you is qualified but he has already adopted you he has already brought you into the beloved and that is the power why this is so crucial that's why it's not just reciting a word it is a cry that comes from your spirit when you say abba you're crying out from the deep it is his spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are son watch this if you are son you are in charge of the whole the whole household but if you are slave you are subjugated but what he says this spirit does not put upon you bondage it put upon you liberty i want you to whisper in somebody here you are free tell them you are free i said you are free tell them you are free no i seriously mean i mean it seriously tell them you are free liberty has come to you tell them you are free tell them you are free yes 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 so the struggle that you are faced with the struggle that the enemy has tried to use to imprison you to make you feel as though you have any value you are free i'm telling you you are free he's declaring over you that you are free he's speaking over you that you are free and to confirm it he has given you the spirit it is not you crying it is the spirit that cries from the innermost Abel! so somebody need to practice in the house tonight say Abel! 
One more time. Abba! Hold it a second. I know some of you may be from uptown, but the rest of us were born in the country where you call out people from a mile away. Abba! When the spirit of adoption has taken a hold of you, it allows you to cry like that. When the spirit of adoption has seized a hold of your person, it literally allows you to experience that you are not ordinary. You have airship. You are directly are a direct line edge in direct line edge with Jesus Christ, and you are direct line edge with all of the blessings of Abraham, and it is now yours. So I want you, as of this moment, and I'm I'm closing right there. To lift your head up. When you read Psalm 27, is it? It says, even when your enemy and your foes come against you. To eat up your flesh. At that exact moment. God put your feet upon a rock. Not when the enemy gone. Right when they are pursuing you. And then he lifts your head. Because he's the glory and the lifter up of your head. He's the one to lift your head means he's restoring your dignity. He's restoring your purpose. He's restoring your glory. He's restoring your beauty. He's restoring every single thing that you lost. He's restoring it. You don't, don't need to keep your head down anymore. You don't need to walk under shame. He's the glory and the lift up of your head. And he wants to embrace you. To pull you in to his arms. That you might feel loved acceptance peace. Finally, to come into peace. Where the warfare in the brain, in the mind, in the soul, in the spirit will come to an end. When there's a hush. There's a hush. Let me tell you what freedom feels like. And then I'm going to hand over the mic. Freedom is when you are not been driven neither by the push nor the pull by any desire at all not even those in the natural so because if you are controlled by desire even in the natural let's say God wants you to go on a fast but your desire for food is strong it, it impedes you but when freedom comes you get to direct your desires you can say I'm going to fast and your stomach says I agree you can say I'm going to stay up and pray and your eyes says I agree I will wait and sleep must delay because you are I am thirsty you says no I'm going to I'm in an absolute I won't drink anything until a certain time and your body will say I will make do with melting the fat we have been brought into another level of freedom and the Holy Spirit wants us to experience it I close then with this for whom the Son sets free
is free to function. Not, not just free indeed. Deed is a doing word. You are free to function. You are free to function. Say it with me. Whom the sun sets free. Is f- they are free to function. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Take someone's hand. Hallelujah. Brother P, just come and take my hand, please. Take someone's hand. You're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. Jesus. You're a good, good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. You are You are perfect Jesus Jesus loves me this I know for little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong say it now yes come and say it yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me the Bible tells me say it again Jesus Jesus loves me. But he is strong. Come and say it with me now. Yes. Oh, yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. The Bible tells me so. Father, I release your love to every heart I release your acceptance to every heart I release faith to every heart that your image will be forming us again that your image will be formed in us again form your image in us Lord that we will experience freedom. Hallelujah. 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 So Father, wrap your arms around someone tonight. 
the past that they have been afraid of to talk about because they feel us by talking about like they're reliving it all over again as of tonight that they'll walk in liberty and freedom they'll never be imprisoned by that thought by that fear they'll never be imprisoned by that um, shame they'll never be imprisoned by rejection ever again but that they shall walk in the dominion of your spirit I want to thank you for your faithfulness towards this conference, towards this house. That you have made this a river of healing. And that you are truly touching and changing lives. I pray for a young woman. I pray for a young man. Who in the privacy of their own space. Have been wrestling for quite a long time. But that tonight the wrestling is over. And you are crowned lord of their lives. I surrender to you and I'm surrendering them to you tonight. Commending them to your spirit that you will watch over them and that you will keep them in all their ways. Father, have your way tonight and bring deliverance in every way, shape and form from the minute, from the micro, from the micro all the way to the major. And Lord, we thank you for doing this now. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Somebody just shout, Abba. Abba. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.